This is an ABC podcast. What are the odds of finding the Eiffel Tower, a two-thirds scale reproduction of the Great Pyramid of Cheops, and several Venetian gondolas in the middle of an arid American desert? Well, pretty good as it happens. Welcome to the Las Vegas Strip, this hot and heaving, glittering place, a mecca of adult escapism. Magicians Penn and Teller are at the Rio. There are six different Cirque du Soleil shows running and, and more ways to lose everything than you can count. Right here in this, this 6.7 kilometres of, of vividly enticing bedazzlement, more than 41 million people visited Las Vegas last year. It's home to more than 150 casinos and at least 150,000 hotel and motel rooms. It's a city where the turn of a card or the roll of a dice could thrill you or cost you. It's so seductive. There's free parking at the Treasure Island Hotel and Casino while, while inside you lose your shirt. It's a city of chance. And you have to ask yourself, are the numbers ever really in your favour? Las Vegas, what are the odds? Jonathan Green, this is Return Ticket, the podcast that takes you on journeys of the mind to the near and the far flung, searching for what the tourist never sees. In our second series, we'll find the unexpected in the familiar in destinations popular and obscure, peeling back new layers from rich histories. I'll ask the critical question, is Tasmania terrible? We'll travel Paris by bread and sync with the rhythms of Ho Chi Minh City. To begin, we're in Las Vegas, a city ruled by chance. What are the odds of getting married by an Elvis impersonator? I'm looking for a wedding chapel. Will will this bus get me there? Sure does. Ah, Great, free window seat. Heading down Las Vegas Boulevard, you you get a sense of this city and this space, a spreading, parched flatness. But but there, the core of this city, it's like a it's like a geographic feature, sort of luminous outcrop, uh, with wedding chapels, famously. Uh, I can't see one yet. They they have them they have them at the Bellagio. I know that. Plenty of casinos here, some some bottle shops, plenty of palm trees. Oh oh, there, there's a chapel. It's actually next to a shooting range. <laughs> the chapels are well, they're kind of dotted between all the other Vegas attractions. Oh, there's, there's another one. It's backing onto a fuel station. It, that's quite the contrast. I'm looking, well, I'm looking for a special kind of Vegas chapel, a, a kind of love me tender place. Turn on the radio, Johnny. ex-wife to the song. Is this seat taken? Yes, look, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I can't help noticing you're, you're, you're Elvis. You're heading to a show. I'm actually a minister, an Elvis minister. My name is Chad Collins. I work at the Las Vegas Elvis Wedding Chapel. 
I've been performing as Elvis since I was five years old. You're a very good Elvis, Chad. Well, thank you once again. Thank you very much. Vegas weddings, they're, they're legendary. Is that still a popular thing? Yes, sir. The wedding industry in Vegas is estimated at $2 billion a year. According to the Clark County Clerk's Office in Nevada, in 2021, there were 75,000 marriages. 75,000? Do we know what proportion were Elvis weddings? 40% of those are Elvis weddings, but we also do vow renewals where folks are already married choose to say I do all over again with the king of rock and roll. Oh, I think that would add a certain something to any relationship, to have that recommitment blessed, as you say, by the king. Absolutely. The idea of a Vegas wedding, where, do we know when that began? The Vegas wedding started in the 1930s because Nevada was the easiest state. And then, of course, in May of 1967, Elvis married Priscilla in Las Vegas. That that would have started the, the ball rolling. What do people say when they're, when they're arranging an Elvis-themed ceremony? What do people come for, do you think? I think they come for the glitz and glamour of Las Vegas. Of course, Elvis set the world attendance record at the International Hotel in Las Vegas for the number of uh, sold-out consecutive performances. When you're performing the ceremony as as Elvis, is there a particular period? Is it is it strictly late Vegas Elvis, or could it be early rock and roll Elvis, military Elvis? You know what? It's just normally a, one of several different looks. I either do the young Elvis or the jumpsuit Elvis. Usually, it's up to my discretion. But if a couple requests a specific outfit, we will try and accommodate them. And I guess if they're asking for a song, um, that's going to have to suit the, the well late period Elvis couldn't sing the entire catalogue but young Elvis there are some things still ahead of him correct normally I'll sing a song as the bride walks down the aisle I'll perform their ceremony and then I will sing a song again at the end when they walk back down the aisle and we'll kind of celebrate together with the couple and what are the favourite songs Can't Help Falling In Love uh, Love Me Tender and of course Viva Las Vegas Baby I've heard it said Chad that, that, that wise men say that don't only fools rush in that's what I've heard. But I can't help falling in love with you. Very nicely done. Do you, do you have a favorite wedding? Does, does one stand out? You know what? I have to say my favorite wedding was uh, I was performing a wedding at a, uh, a famous chapel here in Las Vegas. And a gentleman walked into the room before the wedding started who I thought was dressed like Slash from Guns N' Roses. So it's Las Vegas. Everybody wears costumes everywhere. Well, it turns out this guy was actually Slash from Guns N' Roses. So I had to perform a wedding for his brother. I had to sing in front of one of my rock and roll idols. So that was my favorite wedding of all time. That was a big moment. And, and what did you sing in front of Slash and brother? I sang, I believe, uh, Love Me Tender and Viva Las Vegas. Is there any sort of quality control in, in, in the Elvis the Elvis business because there are some some good Elvises out there and some not so good Elvises well we take a lot of pride in our Elvis weddings here I, I actually won the ultimate Elvis contest here in Las Vegas in 2013 I'm not saying I'm the best Elvis in town by any means but there are a lot of bad ones so we try and make sure if I'm not available that we choose one of the better guys in town. There's about three or four guys that are really, really great Elvises in this town, in my opinion. So we try and give them the best Elvis we can provide them. And I think Elvis Presley Enterprises wants that as well. They want to make sure Elvis is shown in a positive light. <laughs> I must say, Chad, I, I'm impressed to be riding a bus with a man in such a beautiful jumpsuit. Just, just walk me through what you're wearing. Well, this is actually what we call the Aloha jumpsuit. This is similar to the one that Elvis wore for his big uh, first Vias Satellite concert in Hawaii. 
and uh, it's uh, made by the same company, in fact, that Elvis uh, that had made all of Elvis's costumes. They're called B and K Enterprises, and they uh, are the same designers of his costumes, and they're very popular with uh, Elvis tribute artists for making our wardrobe. Well, it's a, it's, it is a beautiful thing. Does it get a bit steamy in the in the Vegas climate? They're not uh, they're not as comfortable to wear as you might think. They're kind of quite hot. So for that very reason, during the uh, the hottest months of the year, usually I will wear something a bit different. Uh, I'll wear like the Golden Age jacket and the black slacks and the turned up black collar. Well, maybe there's a bit of T-shirt and jeans. Very young Elvis. That might be just the perfect thing on a hotter day. That'd be beautiful. Or even better, the shorts he wore in Blue Hawaii. Hello. <laughs> oh, Chad, our pleasure to meet. I think, is this your stop? This is my stop, sir. I do recommend you head up to the casinos and try your luck. I'll, I'll give that my best shot. Chad, Elvis, uh, lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you, sir. And once again, thank you. Thank you very much. What are the odds of coming home with more than you started with? There's one slot machine for every four Las Vegas residents. Not that an Australian can talk. As a country, we have more per capita than anywhere in the world. One in 114 for the whole country. But hey, one in four for a city? That is pretty impressive. Although, hmm... Is impressive the right word? Casinos are big business. They make a lot of money. And what does that tell us about the odds? Oh, shit, there goes the house. I feel in peril of losing every cent in my pockets. <laughs> These slot machines, can you win here? Slot machines, to be honest with you, are a horrible bet. They're a very fast way to lose your money. So if you're given other options for gambling, I would recommend playing a game that has a slower rate of play or a lower house advantage. So my name is Michael Shackelford, but I'm more commonly known as the Wizard of Odds, and I have been analyzing casino games for 25 years. Pleasure to meet you here in this casino. There are hundreds of these things. This is there are a sea of these machines and people playing away. What what are the statistics here? What are, what are the odds and, and 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 the revenue sort of statistics? Casinos love slot machines because they're very profitable and they don't cost much money to maintain compared to say a table game requiring a live dealer. And players can lose hundreds of dollars per hour playing them. Why do players play them? I'm not really sure. They offer a terrible value, but clearly they offer some sort of entertainment value, which keeps the players coming back. You're a winner, baby. Okay, what if what if we sort of moved in another area here? I mean, I'm imagining that, let's say we play poker, let's say we play blackjack. The odds there surely must be about the same of that as those games anywhere. Oh, the odds, say, in blackjack are much better than on slot machines. The slot machines have a house advantage of about 10%, while blackjack is about half a percent, depending upon the exact rules. And plus, blackjack is a much slower game. So I would highly recommend 
anybody to play blackjack over slots. And so the, the way the House shifts the odds in blackjack will be rules on when the dealer takes a card or when the dealer stands. The most important rule in blackjack is how much a blackjack pays. Uh-huh. It has for years been standard to pay three to two, but now here in Las Vegas, at least a lot of casinos are only paying six to five. And that increases the house advantage by about 1.4%. Roulette, is that worth a go? Baby's got new shoes. It depends on the particular rules here in Las Vegas. They usually have two zeros, which results in a house advantage of 5.26%. But beware of the triple zero games where the house advantage jumps up to 7.89%. Fortunately, in Australia and in Europe, they usually have only one zero for a low house advantage, comparatively speaking, of 2.70%. And uh, we're in Las Vegas, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking dice. <laughs> What's what's that about? So the favorite dice game in Las Vegas is craps, and the house advantage there ranges all over the place from 0% to 17%. So my advice wow. in craps quickly is to make the line bets only pass, don't pass, come and don't come, and back it up with the odds, and avoid all the sucker bets in the middle of the table. See, I've got no idea what you just said then, but I'm going to take that advice. <laughs> How did, how did Vegas become the, the gambling capital? I mean, of, almost of the world. Las Vegas started as a railroad halfway point between Los Angeles and Salt Lake City, and there was a source of water there, so it was a place where the trains would stop to load up on water. And from there, as a small community developed to service the trains, and it was also a Mormon outpost, as there was, it was a rare a water source in the big Mojave Desert. And in the 1930s, they legalized gambling. It was as a result, in large part, due to a lot of construction workers building the Hoover Dam. Hmm. And when they legalized gambling, it just, it, it stuck. People loved it. And for a long time, Nevada had a monopoly on gambling in the United States. The big casinos, what, what would they make in a night? I can say that in the last 12 months, ending in June 2022, the Las Vegas Strip casinos made $8.1 billion. If you look at the whole Clark County, it's $12.6 billion, and the whole state of Nevada, it's $14.6 billion. So they make plenty of money, and the stocks of the casinos companies have done quite well lately. And yet some people will tell you that they can make a living out of, out of gambling. Most people who say that are not really doing it, but it is possible. A lot of games of skill can be beaten. For example, most people are familiar with card counting and blackjack. Um, there are other forms of advantage play. Uh, some of them involve looking for dealers that are exposing cards they're not supposed to and things like that. But it's a topic I could talk about all day long. <laughs> However, a lot of people who are winning incorrectly think that they have an advantage, but it's just short-term luck. So if we go to any given casino on the Strip, let's say tonight, what are the odds we'll come home with more than we went in there with? Well, I would say that for the recreational player over a short trip, the probability of leaving happy, in other words, with a win, is maybe 10%. Hmm. That's, well, that, take, a, take a chance on joy. Yes. <laughs> they want you to come back. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, everybody comes home with some kind of a story, and the story is even better if 
it's a winning story. Michael, I, I want you to keep keep clear of those slots over there. <laughs> There's no happiness in that place. You really forget you're in the middle of a desert while sitting inside the casino. Las Vegas has declared a water emergency with less than 50 days of clean water supply left. This place is dialed up to 11, and that's just the aircon. It's hard to imagine there's a crisis going on. I need some real live air. What are the odds of running out of water in Las Vegas? Without water, Las Vegas would be, well, another corner of Nevada desert, a death valley with more neon. And the water that brings this city life is not here by accident. Like anywhere else on this slowly warming earth, maybe more than in some places, Las Vegas is keenly aware that every drop counts. Ah, look, if you don't mind me asking, what are you looking for there? In Las Vegas, um, they regulate lawns. Um, they've regulated the water use, so I'm checking to see if it's uh, been watered recently. I'm Giulio Boccoletti, by the way. I'm a scientist and author. I'm quite interested in uh, water sustainability. Giulio, we are, of course, in the desert. This is a good place to be <laughs> wary of the sustainability of water. That's, that's right. That's right. Las Vegas um, is is an extraordinary place in many ways. I mean, we are in a in a desert and we are in a desert at a particular time because you know some say there's been a 20 year long drought others might say that the climate has actually shifted in this part of the world but it's certainly evident that there's a problem and uh, south nevada and, and las vegas in particular get most of its water from from lake mead the big lake that's held back by the hoover dam on the colorado um, river and you know they get uh, the whole of uh, of south nevada gets less than two percent of the flow of the river but so they've had to stretch the water, the use of the water, very, very far. And so they've had to come up with all sorts of ways of reducing, reusing, being very, very efficient with water use. And of course, Jonathan, now it's a very interesting time because with climate change, people, I guess, are wondering whether this is a sustainable model at all. What's your sense of that? I mean, can, can this go on? It's a good question, and I think that the reality is that it, it, it can and it will. The question is at what cost and uh, you know, and what will it take. Las Vegas is often pointed at as an incredible example of unsustainability, but the reality is it's also an incredible example of ingenuity, right? I mean, if uh, you think about water use indoors in Las Vegas, pretty much every drop that you might use coming out of the tap is effectively reused in the, in the sense that you, know, you use it, it gets cleaned, put back in Lake Mead and then uh, used again. So it's a, it's a highly, highly efficient, water-efficient place. Of course, it can afford to be, you know, all those casinos and all that money that flows through this uh, city and makes it very wealthy. And that's in part what allows it to manage uh, mm. this really advanced water system. Lake Mead, uh, is it under stress? What, what, what sort of levels typically is it running at now? 
It's incredibly understressed. As you know, Las Vegas also has a, has a sort of uh, somewhat dubious history with organized crime. And uh, just a couple of days, I think another body showed up from the depths of Lake Mead that uh, had uh, had been left there by some somebody sort of regulated some issue with somebody uh, a few decades ago. And uh, the lake's gotten so low now that, you know, these types of stories are reemerging from the depths of its mud. Take your microphone and get off my lawn, or you'll be next. Oh, okay, we're moving, we're moving. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, go on. So, yes, Lake Mead is, is catastrophically low and has been, uh, you know, for some years now, because, of course, part of the problem, as we said earlier, is that the climate system seems to be changing in this region in particular. And there's been a shift in the amount of precipitation of snow and, and rain that comes down on the Colorado Basin. And Lake Mead is essentially holding up the Colorado River. And so if less water flows in the Colorado River and people uh, end up continuing to use its waters, the amount of water in the reservoir goes down. And now it's 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 low, right? I mean, it's gotten below some of the intakes. And so it's becoming very, very concerning. Now, in this story, Las Vegas is a small part of the story in that hmm. Las Vegas itself uses a small fraction of the water in the Colorado. The, the story of the Colorado is a story of agriculture. Uh, you know, agriculture used in for water in, you know, watering Arizona and California and, and you know, to some extent, Nevada. So really, the, the, the problem and the solution resides elsewhere. But if you're in Las Vegas, you know, a canary in the mine, if you will. What, what are the odds then that, that Las Vegas runs out of water? I don't know that it will ever run out of water. In a way, you could imagine a city like Las Vegas being able to buy itself out of the problem, right? Because eventually, the water used for other uses, like agriculture, wouldn't be, uh, you know, wouldn't have a commensurate value to keeping a city alive. Hmm. And so, the problem often in water scarcity is not that a, a, a rich city like uh, uh, like Las Vegas would, you know, suddenly have nothing coming out of their taps. It's more that it would create conflicts with uh, farming communities. Eventually, uh, you know, that's that's what might happen. And in fact, the, the way in which the Colorado River is allocated amongst these uses is the result of a compact that was done in the 1920s. Actually, Hoover um, negotiated that contract. And it's called the Colorado Compact. And it essentially apportions water to different parts of the state. And, you know, that was decided in the, in the 1920s where Las Vegas was, you know, was nobody there essentially, right? And so the amount of water that was given to uh, Southern Nevada and Las Vegas in particular was very small. You know, fast forward a hundred years, and a the rainfall conditions have changed dramatically. Turns out the compact was negotiated during the wettest decade in history. Um, <laughs> and then, secondly, you know, Las Vegas is way bigger than it uh, than it was a hundred years ago. And so, the the terms of that compact uh, are unlikely to be fit for purpose. The, the big question is, and it's a political question, is you know how do you renegotiate something like that? And and that's where I think the conflict will eventually reside. Most of the world isn't wealthy. And so the question is really what will happen to uh, poorer cities and poorer communities that face the kinds of issues that Las Vegas faces, but, you know, don't have the gambling industry and don't have Celine Dion selling out concerts every evening, right? That is the question, is what happens to the vulnerable of the world? Las Vegas, it's its a numbers game. It's a city where every flip of the card and roll of the dice could cost you. And are the odds ever really in your favour? It's its a strange mix of, of idle entertainment and something darker and more compulsive. The magic of a made-up city. A city determined to dazzle and entertain. 
But it's built on gambling, of course. So it's, it's fortunes built on misfortune. A kind of cruel prosperity. But while the water lasts and the desert sands hold off, it's still a place where you can catch a show, uh, get Elvis to renew your vows and then lose your shirt. Uh, and that seems to be enough to have people from everywhere coming back for more, whatever the odds. I'm on that highway down to Vegas I'm rolling through the early morning light Rolling on, rolling on One more hour and I'm in Vegas Lady luck gonna be my girl tonight I'm gonna have me so much fun Look out Vegas, here I come You've been listening to Return Ticket. You heard from Chad Collins, Guilio Boccoletti and Michael Shackelford. Producers are Hayley Crane, Alan Whedon and Rose Kerr. Special thanks to Beverly Wang and Matthew Crawford. Technical production and musical theme by Brendan O'Neill. Executive producer is Rhiannon Brown. And if you enjoy this podcast, tell your friends. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Green. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.